condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network. The world for people who think... Hello, listeners. Today is June 5th, 2016. This is Behind the Headlines, and I'm your host, Shane LaChance. And today I'm joined with fellow SAW editors, Carolyn McCallum. Hello. Elon Martin. Hello, everyone. And Harrison Cayley. Howdy. So today, today's show topic is NATO goes ballistic over Russia's growing influence. NATO has recently upped the ante by establishing new ballistic missile defense systems in Poland and Romania. Now, these, uh, these aren't mere defense systems because they also contain first-strike capabilities. Now, uh, listeners may have seen reports in the West about how Putin has put Romania and Poland in his crosshairs. Uh, Reuters has quoted Putin during a joint news conference in Athens as saying, If yesterday in those areas of Romania... People simply did not know what it means to be in the crosshairs. Then today, we will be forced to carry out certain measures to ensure our security. It will be the same case with Poland. In addition, NATO is commencing war games on Russia's border with 10,000 troops from 13 NATO countries. Uh, It's almost double from the previous year's drills. Uh, There's been much speculation Uh, primarily in the alternative media, as to the impact of NATO's provocative behavior, as well as what the Russian response will be. Now, during the Cold War, both the American population as well as the Russians were terrified of a mutual assured destruction. Now, this terror was part propaganda and part truth. In the Cold War 2.0, the U.S. has depicted Russia not as a significant military power, but as an obsolete and outdated uh, Soviet-era military power. Now, the events in Syria has shown Russia's advanced military capabilities. Uh, However, this too has been shielded from Western viewers. But we see, I think we see here, this uh, dichotomy uh, where Russia's portrayed both as weak and as America's biggest threat. Um... It's kind of the, the nature of this, the, the, the beast here in, in the U.S. And um, so I think this, this, all these events kind of raise the question, um, are we seeing a change in, or an advancement of uh, Cold War tactics? Uh, is there a, just a depiction of a rise of a, a new nuclear threat? Uh, is, there, is, there, is this all hype? Um, so today we'll be kind of discussing these issues and trying to sort out, uh, you know, what what is the hype, what is most likely more reality. Um, so maybe we can get into that with uh, with with some some quotes and, and discussion on the topic. Well, first of all, maybe just a little bit more background. You mentioned the Romanian and Poland missile sites, basically. 
Now, apparently the Romanian missile site system is all set up and ready to go. And the Polish one is just in the initial stages of being built. So is the Polish one... Because uh, one of them, I think, isn't going to be fully ready till 2017. Yeah, or, 2000, or 2018. That's the Polish okay. one, apparently. And as you mentioned, the uh, there's the military kind of um, games going on. Just a few more details on that in the Baltics. So three U.S. B-52 Stratofortress bombers took off from... Minot, Minot, how do you pronounce that, Air Force Base, M-I-N-O-T, I don't know, in North Dakota, on Thursday to train and integrate with 6,100 U.S. Allied Forces during the annual Baltic Operations Baltops drills. These are going on from June 3rd to June 19th, and the bombers will also take part in NATO's Saber Strike drills, also being held in the Baltic states, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia. Um, until June 22nd. And those are the ones that involve 10,000 forces. Now, at the same time, um, kind of related in a sense to the announcement about uh, Romania and Poland, is that the Polish military plans to recruit civilian volunteers to form a National Guard-style paramilitary force aimed at preparing for a, quote, hybrid war with Russia. And this is what the Polish Defense Ministry has just announced. And... But the <laughs> missile defense shield isn't hasn't anything to do with with Russia. From, from no, no, the it's, it's no, Iran. It's, Iran is it's, the big yes, problem. It's, Iran it's, it's, it's is Iran. threatening, it's, mm-hmm. that's, totally that's threatening I, with their non-existent <laughs> nuclear program. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then uh, also news from today, I believe, in the upcoming government security policy guidebook currently being prepared by the German Defense Ministry. Russia will now be designated as one of the ten major challenges on par with terrorists, migrants, and global climate change. And so previously, Russia had been listed as a partner for like at least the past ten years or so, and now they're, they're being downgraded in status yeah. to uh, one of the top ten threats to Germany. Now, to, to get to the, the statement that Putin made in Greece, um, I've got it here. Maybe I'll just read it out to give kind of the context of... of the, the quote that from Reuters that you mentioned, Shane. So this was in response to a question. Putin says, What is the impact of security-related issues on economic cooperation? In particular, the, in particular, the commissioning of the U.S. anti-missile defense deployment area in Romania. What is the impact? The impact is negative, and it cannot be otherwise, because some time ago the United States unilaterally withdrew from the anti-missile defense treaty and started what amounts to undermining the fundamentals of international security. Yet another step has been made now. Since the early 2000s, we have been persistently repeating the same thing, like a mantra. We will have we will have to respond to it in some way. Nobody listens to us. Nobody is willing to have talks with us. We do not hear anything but platitudes, and those platitudes mainly boil down to the fact that this is not directed against Russia and does not threaten Russian security. Let, you, let me remind you that initially there was talk about thwart, thwarting a threat from Iran. It was all about the Iranian nuclear program. Where is the Iranian nuclear program now? It no longer exists. The United States themselves initiated the signing of the treaty with Iran. The Iranian nuclear threat does not exist, while the U.S. anti-missile deployment area is being created and was commissioned in Romania. What is this? 
These are launch pads and radar stations. Today, 500-kilometer range Iskander land-based missiles are being deployed. In a few years, they will be 1,000-kilometer 1, missile uh, or range missiles. We even know the approximate date when such missiles, missiles will be deployed. How can this not be a threat to us? It is, clear, it is a clear threat to our nuclear forces. However, there is something that is even worse. These compact launch pads can accommodate assault missiles with a 2,400-kilometer range, and replacing the missiles is no problem. One only has to change the software, and nobody is going to notice anything, even the Romanians. Isn't it a, thre isn't it a threat to us? It certainly is. This is the reason we have to respond now, and if yesterday some areas in Romania did not know what it is like to be a target, today we will have to take action to ensure our security. Let me repeat, these are response measures, a response only. We were not the first to take such steps. The same will be done with regard to Poland. We will wait for certain actions to be taken. In Poland, we are not going to do anything until we see missiles on the neighboring territory, and we have the necessary resources now. You saw, the whole world, world saw, our capabilities in terms of medium-range sea and air-based missiles. We are not violating anything, but the Iskander land-based missile systems have a brilliant record. Incidentally, the fact that launch pads are deployed that may be charged with medium-range missiles is nothing short of erosion of the medium- and short-range missile treaty by our American partners. I think, it is an I think it is an obvious matter that requires the most careful consideration and undoubtedly the involvement of the parties concerned in detailed and substantial talks on these issues. Now, just hold on a sec. It looks like we have a call. Let's see who we've got. Caller. Are you there? I think I know who this is. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> it's Joe. Hey, hey Joe. Hey, Joe. Welcome. Juicy topic, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Y'all are doing very well. Thank you. <laughs> what do you think about those so, words from Putin, Joe? Which ones? Oh, did you not hear the ones I just read about um, Romania and Poland being in the crosshairs? In response to this um, whole missile. Yes. Well, I mean, this has been going on on the forum. I run a forum on the uh, on SAD in the comment section. There's been a few articles that people have been, you know, responding to and commenting on uh, mm -hmm. on this topic. And um, there's some people in particular who I don't know don't seem to understand the basics of kind of. Uh, of when someone's threatened that they're gonna there's gonna be uh probably if you threaten someone there's repercussions, you know, there's potential um repercussions for for the for the people who the person who's doing the threatening and, mm -hmm. and the people associated with them and I mean it seems to be obvious that it's ridiculous. I don't understand what's going on behind the scenes, but for the Polish and the Romanians to um accept this uh these NATO missile batteries on their on their territory. And not expect that that would make them a target uh, is just bizarre. I mean, I, I don't, I don't believe that the Polish government, the Romanian government, didn't understand that when they decided to agree to that, or maybe they were, maybe they were coerced or blackmailed in some way or other. But obviously, they must have realized that this would uh, put, uh, as Putin said, kind of put. Uh, Romania and Poland in the, in, in the crosshairs mm -hmm. for Russian <laughs> Russian missiles and um, but 
the only conclusion is that they know that, but that the alternative or the payoff they got for allowing Poland and Romania to be threatened in that way or become a target of Russia in that way, the payoff was uh, was better or more mm-hmm. valuable to them than the, any negatives they would get from being a, a target of Russian missiles. So, I mean, that's the only conclusion because... Mm-hmm. Any speculation on what that circumstance could be? What could What could be better than being... Or what could be worse than being in Russia's crosshairs? Well, if you're to be very conspiratorial about it, or kind of duplicitous, or to get into a duplicitous mindset, you would probably think that some kind of deal, some kind of economic, uh, either not necessarily blackmail, but sweeteners or promises Mm -hmm. came from from the West for Romania and Poland. And at the same time, um, they bought into the U.S.'s narrative that, listen, despite the fact that we are screaming, you know, bloody murder kind of thing from the rooftops, that Russia is a threat to everybody and it's going to invade the Baltics and invade Poland and invade everybody. Um, That's not really true, you know. I mean, we know that Mm -hmm. Russia does not have those intentions and the Poles and the Romanians know that Russia does not have those intentions and that is effectively, yeah, it it wants peace, you know, and that... Um, I'll put it this way, it's kind of, if you want to get Machiavellian on it... Um, so they volunteer kind of, to be used as a bargaining chip, so to, so to speak. Right. Like, like, no, ex- like it's, it's, we're not going to start a war, but, but we're going to use this as a way to extract concessions from the Russians, and you help us out with this, and it'll be good for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, the rationale being that, um, listen, Poles and Romanians... Don't worry about what Russia says about this, because ultimately, Russia, despite uh, the threats it would make or the fact that it would say, you know, Poland and Ru- Poland, Romania, are now in our crosshairs, um, Russia has much more. Russia is willing uh, to live with that kind of a situation um, rather than um, in, in, in exchange for, or it's willing to it's willing to accept that situation so that it can maintain. Uh, good relations with with Europe. Uh, put it this way: that it would be really bad, as much as you might say it's a bad move for Poland and Romania to put, allow these missiles to be on their bases. It might be even a worse, an even worse situation for uh, Russia if Russia were to, for example, attack those missile bases in some way or other, um, because that would kind of sour relationships between Russia. And Poland and Romania for a long time, while uh, and not only that, but the rest of the EU, and it would actually, in fact, um, provide proof, mm-hmm. uh, quote unquote, to for all of this kind of uh, hysterical fear mongering about Russia's intentions. See, we told you, Russia, you know, so they're kind of putting Russia in a kind of a a damned if you do and damned if you don't kind of uh, situation there, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Um, in, whereas, in, listen, you just got to suck it up because we know you're not going to do anything against the against us. You may say that Poland and Romania are in your crosshairs, but you're not going to do anything because that would effectively be shooting yourself in the foot. Because what right. you want, Russia, is closer closer relationships and better economic relationships and uh, ties with European countries. So we know that's one of your primary goals, and that that's what you're setting your sights on. Uh and so you're not exactly going to go and sour those over some missile bases, are you? Yeah. And the Russians, Russian answer would be, well, no. Well, um, one of the interesting things, too, that Putin had, I think, it was, pretty sure it was Putin, uh, who said that the uh, capacity for uh, 
these missiles can be changed uh, just by the software and that that can be done you know by the United States remotely you know, it, so it won't necessarily be um, Romania who has the the you know the, the finger on the trigger so to speak would you say even NATO like if, if the US can change the software they, they could slip this right by the the whole NATO mm-hmm. thing Jeez. you know there I was reading one article um, although I can't figure out it might have been Paul Craig Roberts and it's interesting what you said about, you know, Russia wanting to maintain good relations. Um, it says Imperial Washington is leveraging the reasonableness of the Russian government to put Russia in a propagandistic light. Mm-hmm. The Russian government has permitted itself to be put on the defensive and has given the attack to Washington. Um, also, there was a quote from one of the lunatic generals about Russian aggression, this and that, and Georgia, and blah, blah, blah. It says, Russia has not attacked anyone except the terrorist group ISIS. Uh, Washington has been using ISIS to overthrow the Syrian government with terrorism, and Russia has put a halt to that. The question before us is whether the Russian government so desires to be accepted by the West that Putin, I mean, this is Syria, not Romania, but it's kind of, you know, ten, you know, cogent. If Putin sells Syria to Washington, Israeli dismemberment in order to show that Russia is a good partner for the West. So it's they're testing how far Putin wants to take this whole mm-hmm. partnership thing. That's pretty dangerous. Mm-hmm. Well, part of this whole war is about propaganda and media. Mm-hmm. And it just looks as though the U.S., um, you know, they know that if Russia takes any aggressive action towards uh, these new missile sites in Poland or Romania, mm-hmm. that they have the in, almost the entire Western mainstream press ready to point fingers and further demonize Russia. Yeah. Um, I mean, how seldom do we hear a, a mainstream analyst come out and say, wait a second, Russia kind of has a point here. Uh, they're they're being encircled and threatened by uh, by NATO. Yep. Um, so in that sense, you can say that uh, the the NATO Western U.S. psycho strategy here is to um, kind of bait Russia further. And uh, mm-hmm. but but the thing is, I I don't you know when when Putin draws a line, when Russia draws a line, uh, it it isn't an, an empty kind of threat there there is something uh behind it and uh and it's it's purposeful so i guess the question would be you know what does putin mean by you know putting romania or poland in in the crosshairs you know is is that a uh a is he speaking in military terms is he speaking uh in other terms uh you know are there other things economic economic? um Uh, you know, one possibility could be uh, Russia withdrawing from um, you know the the treaty that's pretty much null anyway from from NATO. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's it, it's not it's not like the the agreement's been followed um, by both sides or well, by, it seems by that, NATO. Yeah, it seems that um, if if Russia's speaking in military terms and or economic terms then Washington hopes he is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know what I mean because yeah. Washington right. reckons they have nothing they have only only something to gain from all of this mm-hmm. I mean really it's a ridiculous situation I mean they're put they're pitting Russia and its and its neighbors against each other mm-hmm. that's yeah. that's the goal <laughs> of Washington 
And I mean, whatever whatever they do that achieves or pushes that forward or achieves that, um, they're, they're happy, you know. Uh, so it seems to me that what what's really going on their strategy is that you know Russia's talking. Okay, Russia is this military power, and everybody's talking about uh, the possibility of a nuclear war and you know annihilation of the human race and all this kind of stuff. But um, it seems that obviously, you know, in particular, Putin uh, as a as a president of Russia is not. You know, he's cut from a different cloth than the people, most of the leaders, so-called leaders in the West, you know, and he doesn't seem to be a psychopath. And um, so they seem to be looking at that and, and deciding that we can use that uh, against him, basically. Basically, look, this guy's nice. He's a nice guy. He's not going to do anything rash. He cares about people. We don't. I mean, we can make hay with that, you know what I mean? Yeah, we exactly. We can use his bleeding hard liberalness to, uh, as, as, as it, might, it might be called by some factions in the U.S., to, uh, to 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 you know, put them under pressure, gain more of what we're trying to gain. You know, <clears throat> just basically put pressure on on Russia by exploiting his what they see as his weakness or Russia's yeah. weakness under Putin as basically being decent. Um, so it's like Russia, obviously, but they, I'm sure that I'm assuming they don't underestimate Russia completely in the sense that. You know, they're probably quite paranoid about Russia because of what Russia's been doing and they don't trust Russia at all. And they have every right to because Russia doesn't trust them and Russia has every right not to trust them. Um, But it seems that their strategy is, well, you know, a lot of stuff would have to happen. Russia would really have to be put in a very, very bad position for it to feel like it had to use the nuclear option, mm-hmm. right? Russia would have to feel, because of the nature of the Russian government and also the um, just the general idea of mutually assured destruction, I mean, that really is the, the worst-case scenario and things will have to be really, really bad for them to respond or, or act militarily against uh, any European country or against the US and basically wreck the whole thing. Um, so they reckon, well... You know, there's a lot of stuff we can get before we reach that point. Mm-hmm. We can put a lot of pressure on Russia. We can, you know, we can hype up. We can just go the whole hog with the kind of like, you know, instilling fear in the people and spreading the ideas of Russian aggression and turning European countries, trying to turn European countries against Russia, hyping that whole threat, you know, getting more, uh, any of the few remaining NATO, uh, European countries that aren't in NATO, get them in. We can do all that stuff. I'm sure Russia will kick and scream and stuff about it and say this is, you know, unfair and not nice and mm-hmm. we don't like it and stuff. But, you know, what are they going to do? That's just kicking, and screaming and shouting. They're just, that's just talk, you know. And we can do all that effectively with impunity because we know that Russia is not going to do anything rash. Mm-hmm. Well, and so it's the same where that line is, you know, how far they can push it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it just seems as though they're uh, missing out on the on the fact that uh, Russia is fully prepared to uh, go whole hog in defending itself. And um, I think a testament to this was uh, a recent um, letter uh, that was put on um, the Saker's blog. And it, it's uh, a warning from Russians living in the U.S. Russia will not attack, but she will retaliate. And I'm just going to read the opening paragraph from that because, um, you know, the, 
these analysts who write this this kind of open letter uh, are basically saying uh, th- this this development in Romania and Poland uh, is a, another step in going the full distance in, a, in an all-out war. And it begins, We, the undersigned, are Russians living and working in the USA. We have been watching with increasing anxiety as the current U.S. and NATO policies have set us on an extremely dangerous collision course with the Russian Federation, as well as with China. Many respected patriotic Americans, such as Paul Craig Roberts, Stephen Cohen, Philip Giraldi, Ray McGovern, and many others have been issuing warnings of a looming Third World War. But their voices have all have been all but lost among the din of a mass media that is full of deceptive and inaccurate stories that characterize the Russian economy as being a shambles and the Russian military as weak, all based on no evidence. But we, knowing both Russian history and the current state of Russian society and the Russian military, cannot swallow these lies. We now feel that it is our duty, as Russians living in the U.S., to warn the American people that they are being lied to and to tell them the truth. And the truth is simply this. If there is going to be a war with Russia, then the United States will most certainly be destroyed, and most of us will end up dead. So, Joe, you brought up the idea of MAD uh, a little bit ago, mutually assured destruction. Uh, This was a kind of a a psychological, military, political uh, balance of nuclear um, capability that basically kept um, both countries from nuking each other uh, if such a Mm. thing had a lot of potential in, in the Cold War. And uh, it just seems as though, you know, the U.S. has now gone mad in the other sense of the word. Uh, there is no longer this, uh, this understanding, this um, kind of healthy sense of uh, self-preservation um, that, uh, that kept things in check for so many years. And, um, and, and what these writers are saying basically is... Um, you know, if if you if you can't think in these healthier terms, uh, then you're basically going to destroy yourselves. Then we're all going <laughs> to die. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, what what they said in that article that um, where they made make a reference to media, Western media lying about uh, and playing down Russian uh, capabilities now. The the implication there is that this is to uh, to get the, so they can get the support of the uh, American people, or, or in the event that in the event that they would uh, there would be a war between the U.S. and Russia, that the American people would be fully behind it because as the American people have become used to, uh, they they would expect to uh, it would be a, a turkey shoot. Like, mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, what what they, what they believe every other American war has been uh, about, you know, uh, we are the we are the greatest military in the world, and we we kick ass wherever we go. And um, but there's another way to to look at that, and it's um, it's not necessarily that what they want to do. That's their plan is to you know, basically program the uh, American people with enough lies about um, about how evil Russia is, and also at the same time about how 
um, defunct or decrepit its military is, um, put those two together and you'll have public support for an attack on Russia, right? Mm-hmm. But um, it's not necessarily that uh, it could be that they want to, and particularly in, in terms of playing down the Russian military strength, they want to uh, facilitate uh, or get public support, not for necessarily an attack, but for continued um, kind of, uh, you know, anti-Russian propaganda to continue to make Russia look bad, but not with the goal of ultimately attacking Russia, but to try and basically isolate Russia in that way, short of any military uh, military attack on Russia, because I don't think uh, they would, they're really planning that or think that that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, I mean, the, the reason they would the reason they would play down the the the, the state the state of the Russian military is because if if the American people knew that Russia had a very effective military and uh, and could give as good as it got from the U.S., mm-hmm. uh, then the American public may be less, maybe more more kind of annoyed by or less supportive of rabble rousing against Russia. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the idea is here to, to, to enable, uh, in order to be able to sell the anti-Russian propaganda as an end in itself, they need to play down the Russian uh, military threat. Mm-hmm. But they Not still have to play it up to the right people to get the money to keep the complex going. So it's like a two-prong uh, thing going on. Play, play it up to who? The people, Congress, budgets. They have to scare them because they control the purse strings, but... They keep right, the public in, in in this kind of like we've got our you know we're cool we've got our missile system nothing yeah. to worry about go back to sleep so they're they're playing a double game it seems. Well, although I think in terms of uh, Congress and American politicians in general, members of the American kind of establishment you know political establishment, mm-hmm. um, they have very uh, willing. Uh, Propagandese, if that's the right yeah. word, uh, because those guys uh, are only too happy. Most of them are only too happy to to believe, even if they don't, you know, what's bullshit. Um, to believe uh, that the, uh, the, the talk about Russia is a serious threat, and we need to increase budgets. Because mm-hmm. when they all sign off on budgets, uh, that's obviously signing off on taking money from the American taxpayer mm-hmm. and giving it to. All sorts of corporations. Okay, people talk about the major uh, defense contractors and stuff, but there's thousands of other companies that are all subsidiaries, not subsidiaries, but subcontractors and stuff that are associated with those. And I think just about every, probably 80% or 90% of Congress and the Senate all have their fingers in some kind of corporate pie. A lot of it associated with defense industry companies and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's been a massive boom in that whole sector since 9-11. And that's why all along, I mean, I think for a lot of these people, particularly the key people who are voting on things and for lobbying in the Senate and the, and the House for certain budgets to be passed and stuff, uh, those guys have a very very vested interest in, uh, or a clear vested interest in, um, in, in, you know, in getting people to pass these kind of bills that give more of American taxpayers' money to these companies because ultimately they're getting the cut of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they don't need much convincing, I don't think. Yeah. There's those that don't need much convincing because they're going to get something out of it themselves, uh, mon- like money-wise. And then there's some others who just still have, you know, are still supping on the on the Kool-Aid type thing. Uh, and they 
the, the American uh, freedom and democracy Kool Aid type thing. You know, some I think there are some people bizarre as it might seem that there are people <laughs> in Congress who really believe <laughs> in, in in the myth of America as this um, purveyor of freedom and democracy around the world. It makes them feel good as well. You know, it's one of the things why that uh, narrative has uh, been so successful, even with just the American people and, even, and with other people around the world. is because, first of all, it sounds good, and everybody would like to think that someone is purveying freedom and democracy to <clears throat> people who don't have it. And yeah. second, secondly, for people who are the one part, who are uh, citizens of the country that is is offering this, well, it makes you. There's a lot of national pride, and I mean, national pride is very much direct linked to. You know, personal pride and self-esteem and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of reasons why people would just go with that and uh, go with the the idea. Basically, what we're describing here is the idea of America as the global policeman. Uh, and however, we need to support it. We support it ideologically. We support it financially. Let's do it because it feels good. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm and also I'm getting rich as a result. It feels good that way too. It feels good uh, in my heart and in my bank balance. <laughs> Well, there's a, there's a couple issues about this, um, both the the perceived threat of a war between NATO and Russia and the, the hype about it and all of this. One of these things that I'm looking at is one of the, what's the word, one of the conditions or one of the things just to take into account is the mindset of the people in the American power circles, for example. Now... Um, I didn't read the whole book, but I read some of the book JFK and the Unspeakable by James Douglas, and that's mm-hmm. uh, a large part of that is about the kind of nuclear confrontation in the early 60s between the Soviet Union and the U.S. And there are some interesting um, just kind of anecdotes about what it was like, the the environment around the, at that time. Because in the intro, Shane had said about the Cold War that on the one hand it was total propaganda, on the other hand there was something to it. Now, the, so um, the propaganda element was, of course, just the, the total fear-mongering and stirring up this anti-Soviet, anti-communist um, hatred and hysteria in the U.S. On the other hand, behind the scenes, it seemed like it was actually pretty scary. Now, so this is a bit um, called from Douglas's book, and he's talking about um, Kennedy's encounter with the U.S., uh, commander of the U.S. Air Force, General Curtis LeMay. So, convinced that nuclear war was an inevitable, was inevitable, and the sooner the better, LeMay had only contempt for what he perceived as Kennedy's naive and cowardly pacifism. For his part, Kennedy was revulsed by LeMay's readiness to kill off a few hundred of millions of people in just a few hours. Kennedy said, I don't want that man near me again. Um, he told that to Charles Daly after having listened to one of his arguments for preemptive nuclear strikes. Another quote from Kennedy to journalist Norman Cousins. He said, one of, the, one of the ironic things about this entire situation is that Mr. Khrushchev and I occupy approximately the same political positions inside our governments. He would like to prevent a nuclear war, but is under severe pressure from his hardline crowd, which interprets every move in that direction as an, appe- as an appeasement. I've got similar problems. So Kennedy, and there's another, I don't have the quote, but there's another example of when Kennedy first sat down with a lot of these generals and they were talking about about this nuclear first strike on the Soviet Union and how they were going to do it in 1963. And Kennedy just, uh, he, well, he asked them, well, what about like the civilian like casualties? And they gave him a number and he just 
he just like his jaw dropped and he walked out of the room and said like these people are effing mad like they're crazy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so that that was the mindset like of some individuals in high positions of power in the 60s mm-hmm. luckily kennedy and khrushchev got together with their kind of backroom silent diplomacy directly between the two of them and managed to work something out now today now this is the point that i think that um the guys that wrote the letter on the saker and also eric zeus and some of these other guys that are writing articles today are getting into is that today um there's well one thing to take into account is that today there isn't the sense of mutually assured destruction and that if you look at what's happened since 9-11 with the the absolutely crazy neocons that got into power if you read some of the anecdotes about these guys they're either completely stupid or just totally delusional and their their biggest game their biggest aim was to to build up america again the new american century um mm-hmm. you know, re um, re-establishing the u.s's place as the the total hegemon of the of the universe to the point where there would be no contenders and that nuclear weapons this is the wolfowitz doctrine nuclear weapons would no longer be a retaliatory retaliatory measure but something to basically an offensive measure and that we would re-establish our ability for a first strike capability and so is is that or is that is that really going on? Are there really people crazy enough in the U.S. that actually think that they can get away with it? In which case, they wouldn't even be worried about self-preservation or mutually assured destruction because they have assured themselves that they can get away with it. Well, th- this is yeah. where I kind of, um, like a few minutes ago, uh, Joe said that, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, that there is all this kind of um, pressure to, to um, create a response in Russia and that there there may not be any actual um, uh, intent to go full head on into a nuclear confrontation with Russia, mm-hmm. and um, but put into this context with um, with the neocon plan for a new American century and the Wolf- Wolfowitz doctrine and the U.S. reneging on all of its uh, treaties with Russia. Uh, and just the sheer level of and uh, insanity that's been ramped up over the years. Um, my reading of it, and I could be wrong, is that there is a willingness uh, among a certain um, strain of of the military and and the politicians to do the do the crazy and to go nuts, to go full crazy. Well, yeah. well, what I what I wonder though with with that is you know is there a sense of satisfaction that they're seeking based on them striking Russia or them getting Russia to strike, you know, somebody else. Either. The second uh, one, yeah. the second one well, would be well, more fun, though, because then they could say, oh, must work Well, the, fir- the first one, though, means that they would have to have, you know, they, you don't see NATO, you know, uh, going after countries with significant militaries, ever. They've never, they've never done that, not once. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're bullies, and, you know, they don't have... Um, well, there, there's there's no real skill there either in terms of fighting. You know, uh, you look at the Amer- American military and tons and tons of money's uh, just poured into it, and and yet, you know, they, I I, I don't think that they do well against a you know uh, against Russia. 
you know, head on. No, they wouldn't. And that's, well, I've got this thing. I don't know who this is. Possibly Engdahl again. Um, that's why they, it's it's been all about starting little brush fires. Mm-hmm. Just to keep Russia occupied. So, you know, they start a problem here. They start a problem there. Syria, they didn't expect them to step in. So that was a bit of a shock. But the whole idea is that uh, to trap Russia in proxy wars and economically bleed Russia to death. That was sort of the, well, the, the ironic thing, though. Is <laughs> it's like, not it's, it's spread the U.S. so thin yes. and hurt the U.S. Yeah. Like, you know, right. Well, this is, this is the other thing where I think that, that you know, they may ra- rattle the sabers over nuclear. But if the ultimate goal is to take Russia as a resource, you wouldn't want to be messing up the product. You wouldn't want to be messing up the resource. So I think they will try absolutely every other thing they can besides yeah. nuclear options because, I mean, that, that's the point. They want the the country. They want the land. They want the oil. They want right. everything, anything else. So I don't. I don't think they have a problem necessarily with messing up the resource in that sense because if you look at, look at what they did with Iraq, you know, yeah, I mean, they mm-hmm, wanted that's true. they wanted uh, control of Iraqi oil, so they wouldn't have a problem with if they were allowed to, if they could, uh, you know, just obliterate Russia and then go in and rebuild afterwards. They're, they're, they have no problem doing that. But <clears throat> I think the main question here is, um, I mean, you mentioned these neocons and these crazies, and that um, who's it, who to call who. Would, who called them effing crazies? Her? Oh, I, I can't remember. JFK. No, no, it, it was one of his advisors or something, yeah, or somebody who reported reporting on it or something. But yeah. uh, the that that same <laughs> strange. I don't know if it's the guy who claims that it's true. There's some there's some um, journalist or something uh, Washington, in Washington who during the the neocon after after nine eleven and the rise of Bush and the Bush government and stuff and the neocons, uh, just what you were describing earlier, Harrison. Um, Colin Powell apparently told Jack Straw, who was then a foreign secretary in, in the UK, he used that exact term to describe... Yeah. The, the crazies West in the basement? Ch- <laughs> yeah, effing crazies. Uh, Wolfowitz, Cheney and Rumsfeld, specifically, because of what they were uh, wanting to do, basically just go ahead and invade Iraq and just make it all up and, you know, provide, hold up a test tube at the UN and say... Here's your evidence for weapons of mass destruction. You know, <laughs> there's this test tube that I found uh, in, in my closet. Uh, um, but the, the the question here is, um, you talk about those kinds of people, and yeah, those people are nuts, obviously, and don't really care. And I would be very, very kind of concerned that those kind of people would have the the would be crazy, would be effing crazy enough to do something extreme and not think about the consequences but the question is are they are they uh, are they the deciders as George Bush mm. once called himself do those people have the authority if they wanted to to say yes let's nuke Russia go I mean is there a, a, is there a, a red telephone in the White House that Obama can pick up and put a direct call into all of the nu- nuclear nuclear silos uh, across the U.S. and say, launch now, and that's it. Does anybody believe Hollywood? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I would say that the process by which that would happen would be fairly a, a lot more kind of nuanced and complex and layered, and the, the, the levels of of kind of a of authority uh, to make that kind of decision and who ultimately would have the decision to say yes or no. I'm pretty sure it's not the White House. 
and I'm pretty sure it's nobody in in you know in, in the executive branch of government uh, or even uh, any of these kind of like uh, members of the Senate, high level members of the Senate or Congress or whatever guys who've been around for a long time. I'm pretty sure none of them are really on the in. You know, um, they're just. I mean, like I've made this reference, made this comparison before that for me, despite what everybody thinks, was despite popular. Uh, belief and the, the propaganda that has prevailed for so long. Um, for me, the, the office of the president of the United States, United States, is pretty much the same as the office. It's not the office as the uh, as the power that they have is pretty much the same power that is uh, available to the Queen of England. Uh, the President of the United States is a ceremonial position, largely. Certainly, it has been that way largely since JFK. Mm-hmm. And talking about JFK and uh, uh, back in the 60s, I mean, it seems to me that at, it was at that point that something changed in a big way. And if you look at, I mean, obviously, JFK was assassinated. And if you look at probably one of the primary reasons he was assassinated was for something he said that he intended to do, which was to splinter the, the CIA into a thousand pieces. Mm-hmm. So for me, that kind of points, I mean, as close as we can get, that points more directly to the real, or getting close towards the real source of the, the kind of power structure in the U.S. Mm-hmm. It is ensconced somewhere in the bowels of Langley, Virginia, or somewhere else even, but basically it's within that uh, framework of the intelligence agencies, and of course there's a public facade to that, and then there's probably a very private facade to that, <clears throat> and the real source of power, uh, or as close as you can get to the real source of, po- source of power in the US, is to be found somewhere there, but you're never going to find it. And uh, that that evidence, for, that for me that is evidence that uh, when JFK said he wanted to, he, really, he, he identified the problem, in the U.S. at the time, where he had been thwarted left and right, and the people who were who, was, who he was fighting against as president, as the supposedly the commander in chief um, in the U.S. and the, the supreme authority in the U.S., he was fighting against <clears throat> someone that he identified more or less as the CIA, and he was so incensed by it and, and, and aware to such an extent of uh, or aware the, to the uh, of the extent to which that that was the real kind of power and that it, it had the power to challenge uh, the presidency, that he wanted to, to to splinter it into a thousand pieces. And as a result, well, we all know who won in that particular battle. And can you imagine then in the ensuing 40 or 50 years how that power center has simply entrenched itself more and more and more? Um, and you talked earlier on about... Um, uh, about the way that if we look at the propaganda war, and that says it all, that, it, that the propaganda war that has been waged by the by the West against <clears throat> against um, Putin and Putin's Russia, to me, the fact that that has been ongoing and the, the the lengths to which those people have gone who are waging that war, the lengths they've gone to to wage it, uh, says to me that that is what they have decided on in terms of their strategy against Russia, uh, which to a certain extent for me says that they have, since that time, since they made that decision, that they have more or less discounted uh, the idea of 
uh, any kind of a hot nuclear war with Russia. And I mean, when they talk about the lengths that these people will go to to wage this propaganda war, I would cite something that uh, cite something that evidences the, the length that they will go to, and also the type of people who have made that decision. And that points to that kind of more hidden or veiled power structure within in the West. Let's say not even in the US, but centered in the US. And here I'm referring to here I'm referring to MH17. Mm-hmm. MH17, just to look at it on the face of it, MH17, as part of their propaganda war against Russia, to basically just make Russia look bad, mm-hmm. they were willing to fly a plane up and shoot down a, a, a Malaysian Airlines plane full of innocent people. And the only reason they did it was to make Putin look bad. Now, that's pretty extreme. But it also suggests that these people are serious about their propaganda war and they're extremely ruthless. And it also suggests that you tell me who flew that plane up. Was that sanctioned by Obama? Was that sanctioned by members of Congress? Did someone pass it to Congress and say, can you approve this bill? It's the bill for the shoot down of a passenger plane to make Putin look bad. Yeah. Who did that? Those are the people, if you're talking about a nuclear war, those are the people who are going to decide on a nuclear war. The people who have the capacity to do that, mm-hmm. who have the who have the the will, if you want to call it, to do that. And it seems that those people have not decided to uh, to wage a have any kind of a serious nuclear war against Russia. But they have decided to use the threat of nuclear war between Russia and the U.S., blaming Russia, of course, to achieve the same goal of destruction of Russia some in some way or other. Well, we were having a discussion a couple days ago on this topic, and the idea came up, if we take all that into account, like let's, let's totally agree with, with everything, you've, everything you've said, but take it a, a step further. What happens when those policies, that existing policy, is, is shown to not work? When it completely, where it, where it repeatedly fails, and the U.S. repeatedly doesn't get what it, what it wants with Russia using its current policies. In in other words, we get that the the that image of the unstoppable force and the immovable object. Well, which one breaks uh-huh. first? Which one gives first? And what is that breaking point? Right? Because if you've got these this information campaign, uh, information warfare campaign, and economic warfare and all these things and so far none of them have actually worked in the way that they've wanted them to i mean with with mh17 um now yeah everyone everyone in quotes knows that russia did it but the the like the dutch uh investigation they're not saying anything everyone's kind of hushed up about it no one really brings it up anymore in any serious way we've still got the sanctions but the sanctions aren't working russia didn't end up invading ukraine um like, so how many times does the, the U.S. have to fail, or these, you know, third parties, these kind of hidden forces, how many times do they have to fail before they decide to change their strategy? And what will that change be? Hmm. Well, that's, that's looking into the future, I suppose. But yeah. um, as far as I can tell, they, um, right now, probably from their perspective, they're doing pretty well. Yeah. Despite what you were, you were just saying. Um, I mean... I suppose they chalk up their trees and chalk up their... I mean, the very fact that they have been able to whatever extent extent demonize Putin as this kind of imperial warmonger, when in fact he wants exactly the opposite as a victory in itself. And they're mm-hmm. probably, they're probably um, 
encouraged by that. You know, the fact that they have the control over the Western media and that kind of stuff and, and even are able to, to certain extent influence, you know, well, influence the media around the world and people around the world, but they're particularly focused on right now on, 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 on Europe and the West, you know. Um, and they seem to be having quite a lot of success, particularly in Europe, you know. I mean, you go and ask anybody in Europe, the average person in Europe, and they're probably, they'll, mm, not Putin, I'm not sure about him. They know nothing about it, really, except what they read in the media. And, of course, the media is parroting the Western government line. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I would say they feel pretty confident that they can keep things under control. And I think, ultimately, what their um, what their end goal is to... Is, is to um, and this work is bad for us, being geographically where we are, is that the, their main focus right now is Europe, you know? Yeah. Is containing and keeping Europe because Europe is a very large captive market. You know, it's half a billion people. Um, it's a lot of wealth, and uh, um, and they want to make sure Russia doesn't get. A, uh, well, they want to cut Russia out of that as completely as possible, and in that way, basically, I think they're willing to accept Russia as, you know, a, a second, second tier as long as they remain. We're number one, baby, uh, in in most spheres. Then. They're willing to accept Russia as a, uh, you know, as as to, to to do the best it can do, which in their terms won't be won't be a lot. Just keep sending know? gas. Just send your gas, right. and we'll be good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the rest you can just forget about it, you know. Um, and I think, I mean, they'd be willing to even, you know, I mean, I think here's where it would get kind of like shooting your shoot yourself in the foot to a certain extent. But of course, these people don't shoot themselves in the foot; they shoot other people in the foot, um, and that's what they're doing in Europe and this Romania-Poland thing is quite a good example of that, you know, where they're willing to sacrifice, and this is where just, uh, I don't know, you just, it, my mind boggles at what, what's going on in Europe and what hold they have over them or how idiotic they are, mm-hmm. but that uh, if they were able to set fire to Europe in a certain sense, they would like to see you know, Russia and if there's going to be any kind of hot war, they would like to see some kind of a hot war uh, as much as possible between uh, to the extent possible between Europe and Russia if they can keep a wedge driven between Europe and Russia, then that's probably good enough for them. I, and that means keeping all of Europe in Washington's back pocket. Mm-hmm. Then they can, they can, they're fairly sure that they can, they can contain the situation and remain top of the heap, and Russia will just have to suck it up. Well, it's another. There's, there's one more thing I just want to say, just on that. Um, on that Saker article mm-hmm. that you that you quoted, um, I just wrote a comment underneath it, um, uh, and I'll just read it here. Just a couple of paragraphs. It was. I said, I think most, if not all, of of what's going on is political drama designed to keep the people in fear and distracted. If nukes were not used or allowed to be used. During the Cuban Missile Crisis, or any other number, or any number of other times of tension during the Cold War, then you can bet your butt that it ain't going to happen now in a much more complex and hedged geopolitical scene. And it seems to me that most of the main voices in the alternative news community are hyping the the threat of a nuclear exchange mm-hmm. uh, between the U.S. and Russia, and yet completely miss the point that the primary goal of any purported elite on this planet is to keep the masses of humanity in fear and compliant so that they can continue, the elite can continue to suck the life force out of them in the form of working them to the bone to enrich themselves forever. 
So from that perspective, the threat of a nuke, nuke war is an end in itself. You don't have to have one. And in fact, it would be counterproductive uh, to the agenda of this elite, which is to keep your cattle as cattle. So, so far, um, mentioned earlier in the show that it, that Russia has been portrayed as you know this uh, obsolete force. Do you, do you think that you know, in the uh, uh, next year or so that this nuclear threat that's kind of being hyped in the alternative media will be spread uh, among the, the wider American population? Because um, that that will change tactics a bit from portraying Russia as 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 weak in, in the minds of Americans to you know this, right, this, yeah. this significant threat. Well, it it could yeah. be that the two could go together. It's like Russia's so weak; this is their only option. That mm. kind, that kind of a thing. But I mean, the, the interesting thing is is that in in the tiny corners of reality in the Pentagon, whatever, there was a Rand study. That said, they did uh, an analysis of war games in 2015 and came to the conclusion that Russia could overrun NATO in a mere 60 hours if it ever right. amounted to a hot war on European soil. So, right. and the thing is, well, too, it, uh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say what's interesting is is the way that the propaganda they're talking about, the propaganda that they're catapulting uh, to uh, to Western populations yeah. uh, just flies in the face of uh, increasingly flies in the face of um, the actual facts mm -hmm. uh, as mm -hmm. as demonstrated by Russia. You yeah. know, Russia. I think their policy is to just keep doing what we're doing because you know what we're doing uh, is the perfect antidote to what they say. Yeah. You say we do one thing and we do exactly the opposite. Now their power over the media and their power over in that way over people's minds and what they think is is considerable. Mm -hmm. But I think there's only so far you can push it, you know, where and eventually... the facts leak in. <laughs> moves, yeah, the facts start kind of imposing on reality, and even people who are propagandized against to such an extent start to go, well, hang on, I'm having a bit of a problem here understanding what you're saying because what I see over there is totally the opposite of what you're saying. You know, don't get me wrong, I want to believe, but it's just these fact things that are just not agreeing with what you're saying. Can you help me out here? Yeah, here's take some more Prozac or something. Uh, Pretty much. So, and I mean, you know, it's like, the, you know, there's lots of examples of, of that of that kind of thing happening, you know, um, over the past few years where, where what they say, I mean, you even see it... Uh, I mean, in, this, in the, 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 that comedy show. What's that comedy show called? Oh, yeah, the U.S. State Department press briefings. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah. that, that comedy show that they are every week. Uh, um, when that guy is put in a position where, what's his name? Um, Kirby. Kirby. The Kirby guy is put in a position where he has Furby. to try. Yeah, Furby is, has, to, has to explain <laughs> how... Uh, how uh, how NATO, i.e. the U.S., moving right up to Russia's border and putting missiles in countries right on Russia's border, explaining to the people how that is evidence of Russia expanding towards NATO. You know, I mean, That's you, ha a trick. you have to say... 
<laughs> you got static borders of Russia that have been there for quite a long time. But somehow, me moving closer to you is you moving closer to me. Right? You stand still, and I increasingly get closer and closer to you. But, but that's you're evidence that you're, that you're getting closer to me well, by making me get closer to you. Well, <laughs> all they have to do is repeat uh, the Russian aggression meme and, uh, and we, mention, we've been very clear on this. Mention, <laughs> you know, Crimea yeah. and, and the invasion of Ukraine and, mm. uh, and the invasion of Georgia. And because the American public is so abysmally ignorant of, of what actually occurred in those places, uh, right. these are just these kind of, uh, triggers in the minds of people. Oh, yeah, there was that with mm-hmm. no other question as to, um, you know, the, the validity of those claims. Yeah, but, so it's almost like there's no point in even saying that to them because they don't know one way or the other anyway, right? They're not, not, even if you don't tell them that kind of stuff, they're not necessarily going to contest it because they're not watching anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost, I can imagine that at some point the people in the in the propaganda department in the U.S. government might turn around and say, you know, why do we even bother, you know? I mean, these people have been fed so many lies for so long. They're just in such a stupor that it doesn't matter what we say, you know, I'll take our pensions and retire. Yeah. Our work here is done. I think that's actually already their attitude. Yeah. They really just don't Mm. care. And the only people that they're doing it for are the other few journalists that are in the room. And, and, you know, they know no one listens. Well, there's, it's it's funny because the, the, uh, at least the American journalists, you know, you don't see a whole lot reporting from the actual briefings themselves. The briefings, when they go up on YouTube, you know, they get like 500 hits. Nobody's watching these things except for, you mm. know, relatively few amount of people. <laughs> so, yeah. they probably could say pretty much anything they want. Well, yeah. so I wanted to um, get back to this uh, idea of, um, uh, you know, a nuclear full-out exchange being a kind of um, tool to ramp up the fear Uh kind of next to the idea that um, at the same time, you know, there, there is this information propaganda war uh, being committed, and there is also this kind of uh, very covert, um, you know, I, when I think of this, I, I think of uh, Khan in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Uh, you know, at, at the end of the film, he kind of, he... he sets off the doomsday device and he says with my last you know breath i spit at thee captain kirk <laughs> and but the the you know there's this mentality uh at work here that you know there's this kind of you know i will hurt you i will i will and i will continue to hurt you and and how has the us and the west been doing this in addition to mh17 um you know you had the the Russian airliner go down in um, in Egypt a few months mm-hmm. ago. Uh, there's some speculation that this might have been as a result of some exotic technology. Right. Um, a warning to Russia. A warning to Russia, and and perhaps a, a foretaste of of things to come. You know, if we can't overtly uh, begin a hot war with you that everyone sort of recognizes for what it is to some degree, mm-hmm. then we're gonna. And we're going to get out the, you know, the rail guns and all of these exotic hmm. weapons that uh, that Ash Carter made mention of when he was cheerleading the uh, the, the, the military industrial complex convention a few months ago. You know, there's this uh, there's this kind of like um, 
there's this uh, drive. They're going to do anything, even in, even in a covert way, to undermine and hurt Russia. So, uh, what do you, what do we think about the idea that there's this going to there's going to be this kind of um, secret war, where, well, they, where I mean they've been conducting it for oh, yeah. for decades, right? I mean the the whole the whole plan of isolating Russia is just uh, another form of, of this, uh, of, of what I think you know, you're, you're speaking about, and separating Russia from, from Europe and uh, you know, its neighboring countries. That's, that's really, it seems, a, a primary goal um, to, to, hurt, to hurt Russia, and not just Russia, but to, in order to keep the United States in the position... Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's in, uh, like Joe was talking about earlier, and you know, because uh, otherwise, if if Russia did combine forces with and you know strengthen relationships with uh, with, with Europe, and I mean, it, it could be uh, you know a, a different kind of world, and one where the U.S. doesn't have the the kind of um, you know hold over over everybody. Um, so you know, it, it kind of seems to me like this is this has been, you know, it's 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 nothing new, I guess. You know, but like, um, I guess what I'm asking is how how f- like what can we expect to see as an escalation in in all of these tactics? Um, yeah. You know, are are we going to get uh, earthquakes where there were never earthquakes before? Are we going to, you know, what I mean? Is there going to be um, this hybrid war, this asymmetrical, covert Where instead war. of shooting down a jet, you shoot down a civilian airplane. Basically, mm-hmm. what's the next level of what yeah. we're seeing right now? Right. Yeah. Mm. And who knows? Right? Well, <laughs> yeah. well, I don't know. The uh, the Egypt, the, the shoot, uh, assuming that uh, the shoot-down of the Russian plane was a shoot-down, not a bomb, as everybody said, even the Russians, um, that it was some kind of exotic weaponry or whatever, EM pulse or something like that. Uh, and, you know, I kind of mentioned that it was maybe a warning to Russia. I mean, here we get into kind of very speculative conspiracy theory um, ideas, but... Uh, Go for it. <laughs> you know, well, you know, Richard Dolan talked about this. actually goes back to the, the nuke war scenario and why... It would never happen. Um, back in the, I don't know, I think it was in the sixties or whatever. Richard Dolan provided some um, in one of in one of his books, uh, UFOs in the National Security State. Uh, actual military documents showing, well, he provided a lot of military documents showing events that happened over um, nuclear powers. Uh, Nuclear nuclear silos in the U.S. You know, uh, launching platforms in the U.S. And there was one event that was recorded, and he had he has a copy of the military document, uh, the report showing that uh, a light, these lights appeared over uh, this installation, and for a sh- short period of time one evening, and during that time, all of the electricity, everything was shut down within the in the within that uh, at that base, uh, i.e., if uh, at that moment, uh, someone wanted to launch any missiles from there. They wouldn't have been able to. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been an interesting theory in terms of the idea of someone somewhere having decided a long time ago that 
kind of like what I was saying that um, the point of human existence or the point of, of humanity from the, from the point of view of the elite uh, humanity in this planet is there to be controlled and corralled and uh, used mm-hmm. uh, and directed in, in a certain direction they're not to be destroyed mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter which crazy psychos that come into power Sure, they're useful for their rhetoric and their nutsiness and all that kind of stuff, their arrogance and their aggression, but those people are not not trustworthy people, not reliable people. They're not allowed into the, the they're not allowed up to the apex of the pyramid, and they don't get to understand what it's really all about. This the the real super secret of of the of the power structure on this planet, which is it's about control. It's not about killing them. It's about control. Sure, you kill some here and there to serve your agenda. You're allowed a certain amount of. Oh, mindless wars and, and killing of the population but you're not allowed to kill all, kill all 8 billion all at once, you know what I mean? It's not going to happen because you just, you ruin it for for everybody, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that, that's not the point, you know? Um, but uh, the Richard Dolan also talked about this in more recent years, talked about this idea of a breakaway civilization, as he called it, which is basically a group of people who have access to super secret technology and they are effectively many decades or hundreds of years in the future in terms of their the access to the technology that they have, one of those being uh, the kind of space-based satellite or EMP web, weapons, I think, uh, exotic weaponry. And um, so this, this would be the ultimate controllers, quote-unquote, of the, in the world. And um, it seems to me that one plausible scenario is that that shoot-down of, the, if it was a shoot-down with exotic weaponry of the Russian plane over Egypt, was a warning, uh, a message sent to uh, Putin and the people behind Putin, whatever, uh, who are up there in terms of their understanding of how things operate, just saying, listen, uh, you know, you're allowed to do so much, but only so much. Mm. With this whole, uh, let's all be friends and let's have a world of peace and peace and harmony. Um, we have to allow you to do a certain amount, but we're also not going to allow you to take any action that um, would uh, threaten the the primary focus or the primary direction in which we've been pushing the evolution of humanity for for, for so long. Um, and the message being that, look, we have these kind of weapons that are invisible effectively, can bring a plane down anywhere in the world at any time of our choosing. And obviously that means it could be yours. Putin gets on a plane. Members of the Russian government get on planes. No, we don't want to have to do that, but just play by the rules. I mean, that's more of a, it's a, it's a more depressing picture of the situation, you know, in that uh, Putin isn't this kind of saviour of the world who has free reign and, and the power and the ability to, to transform the world and beat the bad guys and save everybody. Um, but I think it's possibly closer to uh, reality. You know, that, um, and, and when you get that level of, higher level of, you know, understanding of how the, the world works and what the whole point of it is, it gets kind of quite nuanced um, and, and a bit complex and stuff. It's not so black and white anymore. It's not just good guys and bad guys, you know. Um, and, yeah. Well, let me just follow that up. Joe, by asking about, you know, we, we've... But let me, let me finish one, one th- let me just, before you go on that, let me finish one thing. Um, but at the same time, 
there's a lot of people, there's another kind of meme that's out there, which is that um, people criticize us for supporting Putin, for extolling the virtues of Putin, mm-hmm. and, and tell us why, or say to us, why don't you understand that, or why don't you see that there's a one-world government and that Putin is just playing the kind of the good cop, that it's all part of a big manipulation. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where the nuanced aspect of it, of it comes in. We are aware of that. We don't necessarily think that Putin is going to come and save the world and put everything to right and beat the bad guys. But the point is, the extent to which he is able to do what he's doing um, means that uh, at the level of the understanding of, uh, of level of understanding of the ordinary person in the street, it's still very important for for us to point out uh, the things that Putin stands for, even if he's not able to. Uh, transform the world and be the savior of the world. We're not holding him up as a savior of the world. What we're, we're, what we're using him, we're kind of piggybacking our message onto Putin's or using Putin's high profile mm-hmm. to try and mm-hmm. inform people of some very basic truths. Not the complex truths of who's really in control of the world and what's it all about, but the very basic truths of America is not a force for good in this world. Mm-hmm. America has never been really a force for good in this world. And it's not about freedom and democracy. Can't you see? Uh, and the thing is, that's the kind of thing that Putin is saying. So when Putin is saying those things, they're basic truths. They may not be the ultimate truth, but we don't deal in ultimate truths, or we don't try and purvey ultimate truths, complex ultimate truths, to the ordinary person in the street who is having trouble kind of tying their shoelaces, you know? Because mm-hmm. it wouldn't make any sense. Those people need basic simple truths and Putin is serving a function of exposing certain basic uh, truths that everybody really should be aware of mm-hmm. and that have been hidden from them and they're really, they're, they're really simple truths but, and the propaganda, the lies that cover them up are really crass so it's very, you know at that level of trying to just take pull people out of the, out of the gutter you know, the gutter of lies and say look just stop and think for a minute America said they were going into Iraq for freedom and democracy, but they destroyed the country and killed 1.5 million people. You can understand that that's not what it was about, right? You can understand that that these people lied, right? You can understand that they're telling you lies on a regular basis, right? They're fairly simple things for someone to grasp. And Putin serves a very good uh, uh, serves a very good vehicle and serves a very good uh, purpose. If, if if it's our purpose, for example, to try and bring as many people out of the <clears throat> the mire of lies and disinformation as possible, just up to a basic level of understanding, then we're going to use anybody with a high profile in this world who is speaking those basic truths, and that's what Putin's doing. That doesn't mean that he's not ultimately, you know, in some complex higher kind of echelon uh, part of some one-world government. But I don't, I don't really care, mm-hmm. because if he turns around and says America is full of shit they invade countries for profit, then it's true. It doesn't matter what his ultimate allegiances are or who he's ultimately in the pocket of. He just said a truth, and I'm going to publish that truth to the ordinary people of the world because they need to know that as well. Right. So that's the kind of nuanced aspect to it that a lot of people, it seems that we get in comments and stuff on our website, 
can't really grasp. They tend to tend a lot to black and white thinking, you know. Mm-hmm. We want it all, and we want it now. Yeah, look, and just simple. tell me who the good guys are and who the bad guys are, and I'll support the good guys. And they have to be, and the good guys also have to be, have to be impeccably good, no matter mm-hmm. what they do. That's mm-hmm. perfect. White and from, and white. Yes, and from the right countries. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, by the way, I, I completely agree with what you just said. Uh, you know, on its own level, even if at some other level, Putin is um, uh, not the uh, knight in shining armor. Uh, he, he, on the level that he's presenting um, truth, it's completely valid, and um, he stands for integrity. And uh, as much as we're going to see it on the world stage in any case. And when you think about it, this is the only level we have to work with. Right. So we have to. It's, it's, that's it. Yeah. Well, I, I just wanted to um, give a little background on something you said, Joe, because you talked about what Richard Dolan was writing about, about the UFO cases. And, and um, there's one guy that's done a lot of research into that. His name's Robert Hastings, and he wrote a book called UFOs and Nukes. Also just put out a documentary in the last month or two, um, but I'm on his website right now, and cause I just wanted to get an idea of kind of how extensive this thing was. And apparently, uh, from the documents that are available, uh, so these are uh, Air Force, FBI, CIA files that have been released through Freedom of Information Act, and they go back to December 1948. So that's the first case on record of, uh, of these UFO encounters at um, nuclear facilities, nuclear bases, missile bases, and they go, um, so he writes here, moreover, these mysterious incursions are not ancient history, so to speak, occurring only during the Cold War era. Indeed, evidence suggests that multiple ongoing incidents have taken place near ICBM sites operated by Malmstrom Air Force Base, Montana, as recently as October 2012. So this has been going on for since 1948, and that's the year after the the UFO, or one or two years after the the UFO situation like blew up mm-hmm. all over the world. So for pretty much the entire history of the modern UFO phenomenon, they've been intimately tied with with UFO or with uh, nuclear weapons. And so mm. his conclusion that he gives on just the little about page that he's got is that um, Hastings believes that you that UFOs are piloted by visitors from elsewhere who, for whatever reason, have taken an interest in our long-term survival. He contends that these beings are occasionally disrupting our nukes to send a message to the American and Soviet-Russian governments Mm. that their possession and potential large-scale use of nuclear weapons threatens the future of humanity and the environmental integrity of the planet. In short, Washington and Moscow are being warned that they are playing with fire. Hmm. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, they, they have our best interests at heart. It's like saying <laughs> that, uh, it's like saying a, fa- a farmer, you know, who has a pig. Yeah. And exactly. a farmer, a farmer's, farmer's greedy and hungry. And the farmer's got the, got the knife out and he's about to, about to cut the pig's throat, you know, and mm-hmm. just consume it all. And somebody comes along and say, no, you know what? If you just periodically stick a knife in it and bleed a cup of blood, you know, once a week, uh, that'll nourish you, you know. And you can keep the pig for maybe forever. It can be your your food supply for a lot, lot longer, you know. Um, 
and and I'm sure the pig will be very weak and docile and stupid because it's because of a lack of blood, but you'll be happy. So don't you think that's a better idea? I think that's that's uh, a more mm-hmm. <laughs> a better a better exp- uh, analogy to use rather than they're here to to yeah. save us all. Yeah. Well, I'd, just, I'd, just don't wreck the farm. I'd like to play devil's advocate, actually, because um, so like you're good some, at it. So go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like we've we come across every so often um, papers, uh, think tank. Uh, studies that discuss plans for depopulation. Uh, one that comes to mind, although I haven't read it in a while, is the, I think it's the Global 2000 or the Global 3000. Um, you know, we have researchers like Jim Morris coming out with books about depopulation, how there's a, uh, a kind of a, a plan, a multi-pronged uh, effort to scale down the population people on earth to this number that you keep reading 500 million. So um, I guess what I'm questioning is to what degree these plans via vaccinations, disease, um, all sorts of other things uh, may actually be um, implemented or, or part of the works amidst uh, these these kind and benevolent uh, ETs that are shutting down uh, nuclear silos and not allowing ourselves to uh, blow each other up via nuclear bombs. Do we um, do we consider these ideas of depopulation seriously? Do we are they are they just this contingent of of crazies that aren't really allowed to take it that far, as you were mentioning, Joe. Depopulation in what way? Um, depopulation in the in um, the kind of mass implementation of of poisoned vaccines, um, possibly uh, biological um, warfare that could be blamed on uh, Russia or other nations. Um, mass terrorism, um, you name it. Yeah, but none of those things are depopulating the planet in any kind of significant way. Mm-hmm. The the uh, population has grown, continues to grow. I think like 50 years ago, it's, it was less than half of what it is today. So if there's been a depopulation plan and uh, ongoing over the past 50 years, it's really messed up. They really messed it up, you know. Mm-hmm. They're like, oops. We did the opposite. Uh, no, I don't. I don't see that. I mean, I see that just as the things you mentioned. Well, we already kind of discounted the nuke war mm-hmm. scenario. Um, vaccines sounds to me just like uh, well, that just keeps people. It creates kind of autistic children and messes with the human kind of gene pool and stuff. But it keeps people are still alive, you know. And um, and it also, but I mean, when you talk, when you say money. And greed, and greed is a sickness. You've said a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, if people are, if people can just, uh, I mean, the pharmaceutical companies are just pumping out uh, products left, right, and center, and and getting taxpayers' dollars for them, you know, um, because it's easy money, and you know, 
they, they're, as we know, they're kind of making up diseases and stuff so they can create new pills to sell to people so they can get richer and richer, you know, them and their friends in politics, you know. I mean, when you say greed, uh, uh, you've basically, uh, greed accounts for an awful lot of the bad stuff happening on this planet today, just unfettered greed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's, that's the bottom line is that there is some kind of a, uh, a regulation or a rule or something that uh, that says you can you know you can commit all sorts of egregious acts and exploit people and use them and abuse them and uh, but you're not allowed to wipe them all out because did you miss the part about using and abusing mm-hmm. if you wipe them all out what are you going to use and abuse Well, maybe just to, to sum up some of the things that we've talked about so far, um, because we've, like in the show description, we give a, we give links to several articles from these, uh, a lot of big names in the alternative media who've all written articles on these kind of hot war nuclear scenarios. I think a couple of things that we can take away from that is, first of all, I think a lot of them are right in one way, but simply just from the way of, of war games and actual military capabilities um and this we just watched uh, three days of the condor the other day and there's a line in there oh, that yeah. goes something like um the the cia guy's talking to to uh, robert redford's character and he's saying well you know in the cia it's it's just all games you know we we just plan like what if and let's and we figure it out and it's all games but we you know we don't put a lot of these things into practice it's just it's just all plans and games and mm. in that sense a lot of the a lot of the cold war i mean if you watch dr strange love a lot of it is games. You figure out, you know, you run these games, you figure out, okay, they've got this many weapons here, and if we strike here, they could do that, and blah, blah, blah. And so it's a fun little game to, to figure out. And in that sense, I think these guys are right. If if it were to come to a, a situation like that, Russia could probably you know, wipe the U.S. and get away with, um, you know, well, mm-hmm. U.S. would suffer massive casualties when they weren't expecting it. Yeah. Russia has a great situation. Yeah. yeah. And but that's just, it's a hypothetical uh, scenario. In reality, that probably won't happen. As we've seen, like, uh, history will probably go in the direction it's gone throughout the entire Cold War, where these things will just continue to happen. Now, that's not to say that things won't get worse or that things are going to get any better. Things will still go wrong. People will still die. Who knows how many more wars like we see in Syria today or like we see in Ukraine today are going to pop up. And that just seems to be a holding pattern. And who knows what else will happen on top of that. Right. Let, so, me, let me say something here. Yeah. Let me say I've, I've, a question first of all. Is that Three Days of the Condor any good? Yeah. Yeah. Very, sev- good, very good, 70s. Good you 70s have to appreciate movie. the 70s of it, but it is a good movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> okay. Because uh, I have it, actually, and I haven't watched it. Um, the other thing is... Uh, I kind of think that these people who are talking about uh, nuclear Armageddon and everybody, everybody being wiped out in a hot war between Russia and the US, I think, I would like to think that the reason they're kind of really going with that scenario and worried about it and stuff mm-hmm. is because uh, it would be the best solution. <laughs> that, that they actually want that to happen. Of, of course, I know this guy, the Seeker, and that Orlov character, and whoever else put their name to it. 
uh, claim that this is terrible and we don't want to die and stuff. But I think it would be far better if they were promoting that as please hurry up and get it over with because uh, are these people watching <clears throat> what's happening on the planet uh, in lieu of mm-hmm. uh, a nuclear war that kills everybody? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. are they watching the di- <laughs> Well, there's that, but are they also watching the daily reports of uh, people, women, men, women, and children drowning by the boatload mm-hmm. every week or every day sometimes in the Mediterranean? Are they watching all the people being blown up and killed and maimed in Syria, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Pakistan, in African countries? I mean, are they watching the amount of suffering that's going on in the world? Mm-hmm. They really understand, they really see the amount of suffering that is being inflicted by these warmongers. And do they think that that really is practically any worse or sorry, any better than uh, a nuclear war? Because uh, the the level of suffering on this planet right now, I think, is equivalent to the kind of suffering uh, that would occur as a result uh, of a nuclear war. It would just it wouldn't be that much different. Let, let's put it that way. I mean, lots of people would die instantaneously, and then other people would be sick with radiation sickness and stuff. But if that happened between Russia and the West, and particularly in the West, we you know. A lot of people in Africa and in the Middle East would say, "Well, finally, <laughs> you got yours. Mm-hmm. Now you know. Now you know what we've been dealing with. You know." Yeah. So, I don't really understand it uh, in that in that persp- in that sense. You know, uh, I don't I don't understand their viewpoint uh, if they're the kind of people who really see the state of the world and how horrible it actually is. Why they would be so worried? about a nuclear war because to me that wouldn't really make things much worse. In fact, if it served to decapitate as they might think uh, you know, the the elite, the warmongers in Washington, well then it would be a net benefit uh, outcome. Because at least then they'd all be gone, right? And whoever was left on the planet could pick up the pieces and build a better society. Start again. Because this planet seems to need like a reboot, you know? Yeah, and in the the case of you know, there's just this continual suffering, and you know, not having a nuclear war, um, you know, it 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 really expands the the suffering, you know, over time, and like they get just this just this continual continual um, amount of um, just destruction happening, you know, on you know every day. Whereas with the the you know when when the U.S. bombed uh, drop the bombs in uh, Hiroshima. Um, I think that you know that you know people like that, that. That I'm sure I'm sure was a, a huge shock for for many many people. Um, and you know, and there you know from that, I think you know, there was uh, some some inspiration for for some change. You know that was stomped out too, but you know it remains that. Not having a nuclear war you know, does allow for for quite a bit of suffering to to continue. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah on a long term basis. Mm-hmm. And, and can you imagine that these people are planning to have this go on for hundreds and hundreds of years, and to, to to make it worse and worse and worse, but keep people, you know, keep them all 
uh, corralled and, and frightened and afraid and have regular wars where people suffer and increase the level of suffering. But just keep it at a level where it's just simmering, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And then everybody has to, not only people have to suffer millions and millions of people have to suffer, but everybody else has to witness it. And they want to keep that going for a long time. Is that not, <clears throat> is that not more maniacal or more psychopathic than someone who would push, push a button and, uh, and out of impulse to, to, to nuke Russia? I mean, uh, let's bring up, uh, let's bring, Hillary Clinton deserves an, an honorable mention, <laughs> as, as usual. I mean, these, I think these people who, who, who don't understand the, the kind of nature of the, uh, or, you know, the nature of the, of the situation, the nature of the problem, uh, and the nature of the people in power, um, I think, uh, if they were to, kind of understand who these kind of elite are and stuff and, and what actually where, where they get their jollies you know they would probably understand better where we're coming from our perspective about there being no uh, little chance of, a, of a, a nuclear war and that's not the point that's not allowed effectively because the goal is to continue the suffering forever mm-hmm. um, because I mean look at them um, like I said, Hillary Clinton, you know, look at the, I mean, that well-known by now video clip of her saying, cackling, and saying, we came, we saw he died. Right? She was gloating over a video uh, of the kind of public kind of brutalization and murder of Gaddafi, a man who she had, well, I don't know if she had met him or not, but certainly a man who had never done anything to her personally never done anything to any members of her family. She had no personal grievance against him. Uh, he had never done anything, you know, of, of any significance against the U.S. or against her interests, so she had no beef with him whatsoever. But she was still able to gloat at his at the video of his public, public uh, murder. Execution. Public execution. And she laughed it up. And she even was extremely entertained. If you watch the, the details of the video, the interviewer asks her, um, do you think that she, she was just back from Benghazi uh, and uh, she was there on the day that it happened in the country? And the interviewer asked her, a freaking psycho interviewer as well, said, do you think the fact that you were there had anything to do with this happening that day? And she said, well, no, well, maybe. <laughs> and she laughed. So she was actually, you know, um, titillated by the idea that um, someone... You know, her people would have organized uh, the execution of Gaddafi, a man that she had no grievance against, in honor of her being in the country. So she really, really enjoyed the fact that someone would be slaughtered in her honor. And she really enjoyed the sight of that person being slaughtered, who had, who had done nothing to her. Now, if that's an insight into the nature of the people, it's clear that those people really, really get off on watching other people suffer and seeing other people suffer, particularly innocent people suffer and, you know, being the, dealing that, dealing out that suffering themselves, having a hand in, in affecting that suffering on other people. Now, if that's the kind of people we're dealing with, mm-hmm. then, and, and if they're smart enough and intelligent enough, those people are going to want to keep those victims, the availability of victims for as long as possible for their lifetimes and the people who come after them for their lifetimes and on and on generation after generation they want to keep a pool a large pool as many as possible of uh, other human beings that they can regularly or periodically 
torture and kill. So why would someone like that opt, or in a group of them to get together and opt, or who are of that nature, get together and opt to slaughter them all at once? And then what do we do afterwards? It's like, I kind of keep coming back to that point. What do you I mean these people enjoy lording it over other people, lording it over, lording it over the, mini, the, 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 the plebs, and, and periodically making them suffer and enriching themselves uh, at, at the expense of other people? That's their primary directive. That's their primary kind of genetic motivation. So those people aren't going to consciously or, if they can avoid it, make, uh, they're not going to make any decision to just end the game. Like we said, the game is to keep the suffering going for as long as possible. So in that sense, turn the whole thing on its head, yeah. If only we could have a hot nuclear war between the US and Russia and wipe out as many people as possible most specifically the people who have been presiding over this madness for so long so that it can stop. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that you mentioned earlier, Joe, was uh, how, uh, just to paraphrase, <clears throat> was that you know there's, a, I guess, a bit of hypocrisy uh, in that letter from like the Saker uh, and the others. Uh, in talking about you know a, a destruction <clears throat> um, of uh, you know the United States when you know the United States is is destroying you know so many other countries and it just seems you know a, a lot of these alternative writers are are coming from you know this this Western this very Western <clears throat> excuse me um, perspective. Mm -hmm. That the the U.S. is exceptional, and you know the, this fear that Russia could, you know, threaten a Western country. Like, oh, that's that's so awful. Mm. Uh, can can you imagine this? This is this is you know it, mm. this threat's so great when you know the U.S. is doing this every day in the present. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I, I think I didn't get that from the. Letter. I think part of it, like the the impression I get, is that at least from a Russian perspective, even if, maybe even subconsciously, it's almost like a, a Russian information war <clears throat> going on. Because the impression I get from Russians is that they don't, they really don't want war. Mm -hmm. And so, so they're basically saying, look, we, we are terrified of this happening. We don't want it to happen. Mm -hmm. And so just so you guys know, if it ever does happen, you're going to be hurting for it. And so maybe you should be afraid of it too, and then maybe we can stop this from happening. Well, I, I guess I guess where I was coming from was that a lot of the response was about what Putin was saying, rather than what Putin was saying it about. You know, he, he mm. was talking about mm. the, the the NATO. You know, what happened with NATO? That that's the that's the actual event, not what Putin said in response. What Putin said in response that's valid, and you know, I, I think uh, you know, and just logical and reasonable. Um, mm. But it seems people are getting really riled up about what Putin said. My, my feeling was that uh, what these writers were saying is, if it comes down to um, a, a greater escalation of nuclear exchange, uh, at least you should know who was responsible. At least you should know that... Um, it's your own fault. It, it's your own fault. You're all ignorant. A and B and C and mm. D. Yes. And... And only you have, even though you don't have the power, and you're, you know, you're all kind of ignorant. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's it's you who should know 
what your government is doing and what it's responsible for hmm. creating. Yeah, alternatively, you know, that's that's true. But I mean, there is another perspective that I kind of, you know, well, stand open, but I would tend kind of tend to agree with the Shane, you know. And I mean, uh, you know, when they signed their name in the bottom of that article, Eugenia Gurvich, PhD, Dmitry Orlov, and which she's the Saker, Dmitry or- Orlov, who we know, and the Saker himself. Uh, somebody Ravsky, uh, they could have just signed their names, signed those names underneath. Uh, they could have written three self-satisfied, self-righteous, arrogant, neoliberal, expat Russian Americans. <laughs> hmm. I mean, not to, you know, undercut what they were trying to do and stuff, but um, uh, I, I just. It kind of annoys me sometimes when these people don't uh, really think uh, hard enough about the whole situation and primarily when they don't really see what's going on in the world. They live in a fairly parochial kind of... I mean, they've dedicated years of their life lives to kind of analysing the, the geopolitical situation and they're, they're right now they're full-on in the Russia-America kind of thing and they tend to... Um, it seems that they don't really see... I uh, realize that uh, there is uh, a big world out there uh, with a lot of people suffering for all sorts of other reasons. Although maybe they're all, uh, you know, connected or linked directly or indirectly, but uh, they they don't seem to see the whole the whole picture all at once. They tend to be too narrowly focused on on this one situation, and um, for the reasons that we've talked about in the show, um, they they. There are a lot of other uh, details that they're missing, you know. Um, we think uh, a broader perspective that that needs to be considered, you know, um, and thought about because you know it's not black and white. You know, at the end of the day, it's not a it's 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 not about goodies and baddies, you know, um, necessarily, um, and it's not i.e. in the context of uh, who's going to win, you know. If the goodies win, then everything will be fine. If the bodies win, it'll all be terrible, you know. Um, there's a broader uh, perspective to take that is, for me anyway, explains things uh, a lot more and helps to make things much more understandable uh, and even, you know, acceptable in a certain sense or, you know, tolerable, you know. Um We'll just, anyway. It looks like we got a call on the line. I'm going to take the call. Caller, you're on the air. Can you tell us who you are and what you got to say? Hello, Hello? how you doing? Hi, good. Who do we have how here? How y'all doing? This is Stephen Orlando. Hi, Stephen. How's hey, it going? Steven. Hello. Hi, Steve. Yeah, great, great, great listening to your show. Um, I tuned in late, so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know if you guys commented on uh, the passing of Muhammad Ali. No, we didn't. And, no, well, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe next week or whatever. I think he's uh, he was just an incredible badass human being, and um, he's a great example uh, for for every human being that that values freedom and and um, you know being who you are, living up to your potential, and, and struggling. And uh, he's he's just a, an excellent example and role model. Well, we we anyway. um, 
we posted a, an article about it about his passing uh, to Sat. Steve, I don't know if you got a chance mm-hmm. to see it, but there's um, a great exchange he's had with uh, with a student at some university uh, where he was being challenged for not wanting to enter um, basically the Vietnam War, and his point was, you know, why am I going to go over there? kill some other oppressed group of people. You're sending me there. I'm oppressed here as a black man, and you guys aren't helping me out. And, of course, he said it in much more colorful language, um, but with a lot of conviction and uh, intelligence. And uh, he, he had a close friendship with Malcolm X for a little while, so a lot of his uh, understanding and, and, um, and fight came from Malcolm X's... Uh, um, struggles to bring awareness to the uh, to the situation of blacks in the U.S. and around the world. Yeah, in, in Muhammad Ali, um, that one of his biggest regrets was not backing uh, Malcolm X more. There was, a, there was a point that they kind of parted company, and I think that he, he was under the thrall of Elijah Muhammad. And um, so they... He, Malcolm X was kind of blackballed, um, you know, kind of like excluded, and he became a target, you know, not only from the FBI, but the Nation of Islam as well as being a heretic. And um, Muhammad Ali recognized that that was a, that was a mistake. But, uh, you know, he, he regretted that. But uh, I just think that overall, you know, this guy was an, an incredible human being and um, a very classy person and uh, – and if you look at over his, uh, I'm not a big boxing fan, but man, he really went through. He really went through the paces and subjected himself to a lot of punishment. You know, he had to, he lost his title, regained it. You know, he had to go through all this crap, and um, he did his best. And um, I think he made a, a significant mark in this country. But I, w- I would like to, to comment on the, uh, the situation with uh, NATO and Russia. Hmm. And I would like to, yeah, I would like to comment on, I listen to podcasts, you know, just because I'm out working, you know, labor and it's just interesting to listen to ideas. And, um, this guy, this podcaster named Joe Rogan mm-hmm. is one of the most popular in the, podca- in the podcast sphere. He's among the most popular and he's a, he's a cool guy, you know, he smokes weed and he's kind of a little bit, uh, heretical, makes fun. He's a comedian too, but. He was interviewing Sam Harris, and Sam Harris, man, you know, he's got a big following, too, among young people that, that think that they're intellectual or whatever, but this guy's this guy, Sam Harris, has far up Hillary's butt. It's just, it's a shame, and um, he was, uh, Sam Harris is supporting Hillary, but he was ch- chastising Trump having the temerity to try to like posit the idea that we should have friendly relations with Russia and, and, and Vladimir Putin. And, um, that's the, that's the level that we're at right now. That, uh, that's one of the, the truths that cannot be spoken in good company is what the, the aggression that NATO is engaging with respect to Russia and China. And, uh, so anyway, just, I just wanted to throw that out there. This propaganda is almost ubiquitous against Russia hmm. and Putin. 
Sam Harris is one of those new atheists, right? Like with Chris Hitchens and yeah, Richard yeah, Dawkins. He, yeah. yeah, new atheist, but old imperialist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty sad. So, no, this... Yeah, Sam Harris, like, like, is like kind of a heretical free thinker. But, um, man, he's so... On so many issues, he's just totally there with the status quo. And he, they're just pimping this notion that you know, Putin's a danger, he's a bad guy, and all that. When, when, and they just throw this crap out there, and they repeat it often enough. And um, people in the intellectual sphere here in the United States, you know, they just repeat it like a parrot, you know, and so it goes, you know, day after day. It's very, it's very disconcerting. And also with Bernie, Bernie doesn't do anything to counter these 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 damaging and dangerous stereotype either. So pathetic. No. All right. Anything else you want to say, yep, Stephen? That's it. That's it. All right. Thanks for calling that's in. It. Thanks, Stephen. God bless y'all. Take care. Bye-bye. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See ya. Harrison. Well, just maybe some closing thoughts. Well, first, just on the subject of Hillary, I was saying the other day, and I think I'm going to stand by it, that um, there's been some some rumors in the in the political field that the Democrats are searching around for a possible you know replacement for Hillary if she were ever to be indicted, and I just expressed the opinion that um, I'd pretty much be cool with anyone being president. If I were able to see Hillary Clinton in orange, you know, going into she some... Looked, she would look so <laughs> fetching. Oh, it would match her hair perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The thing is, like, with, with uh, the way things are set up, even if she, if things were brought against her, you know, nothing... I'm just waiting no, to see I'm, how, no, how she wiggles out of it. She'll wiggle out of it. Yeah. I'm just like, wait, it's like, you know the basic theme of the TV show. You just want to see how the <laughs> plot works out, mm-hmm. you know? No, I, you know, I, I know nothing would change... But yeah. no, but I, I still saying, there's a, still a satisfaction you get out of seeing a mass murderer thrown in jail or you know having the book thrown at them. Yeah. It's mm. just it's a it might be a pipe dream, but <laughs> she's the woman you love to hate. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, yeah, lovely thought. But yeah, yeah. That, what that, if we, we can dream. If you got the electric, if you got the electric chair, could somebody go on on uh, meet the press or something and do? <laughs> uh, you know what I'm going to say to you. We came. We saw she fried. <laughs> oh, there's a meme. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's it's that's an interesting little sideshow. Um, they're kicking around uh, Kerry, uh, Biden as the White Knight, uh, possibly with Jill Weinstein as a running mate to sort of lure in the Greens. I mean, they're. It's it's very very low key, but apparently the panic levels are getting up there because uh, the question is whether or not the indictment comes down before or after the convention. And do the Dems have you know the the cojones to say yeah she's being indicted for a felony, but she's still our person? You know, I mean, oh, it's it's going to be something. On the other hand, it would be great to have a felon uh, president. Be honest. Yeah. Be right up front. Yeah. Yay, it's our new yeah, transparency policy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's where it's going, I think. 
Anyway, well, they're all criminals already. Idiocracy too. (laughs) All right. Any final words? Watch the show. Uh, Yeah, we'll we'll just have to wait and see what happens. It'll be interesting on all fronts. Enjoy the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Keep watching. Yeah. Gonna get interesting. All right, so thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks to Stephen for calling in. Thank you, Joe, for calling in and staying on the show. No and, um, yeah, tune in on Friday for the Health and Wellness Show. We'll be back next week with either a Behind the Headlines or a Truth Perspective. We'll have to... I think it's going to be a Truth Perspective. Okay, we'll have to, we'll have to come up with some... We'll have to discover some new already. truths. Oh, you do? Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. All right, well, any, any hints on what the, the Truth Perspective will be revealing next week? It'll be, yeah. It'll be a spiritual show. Okay. Uh, All right. Well, we'll look forward forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone take care, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. See ya.